Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. Michael Elefanti is joining me here today. Michael, I really appreciate you giving us a moment. And uh, if you haven't heard of Michael, he has retired uh, by the age of 27 through the use of short-term rentals. And we're going to dive into that, but the numbers are pretty crazy. I mean, you 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 have six short-term rentals producing $80,000 a month in uh that those numbers are are frankly uh, almost too good to believe. I mean, uh, <laughs> but we're going to see how you accomplish this, and we're also going to be talking about your social media marketing because you do have quite the following on quite a few networks. So uh, I, I appreciate you diving in here today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a good. It'll be a good conversation. So, Michael, I, you probably have told this story a million times, and I, I, I'm frankly. I don't want you to have to spend too much time on this because I'm sure you're tired of telling it, but could you kind of give us a truncated version of how you got your, found your way to the niche of short-term rentals? Yeah. So long story short, I was an athlete through college, didn't really know what I wanted to dive into post-college. So like a lot of people um, just took an entry, entry-level job into the field of technology sales. Um, I had some family friends and some people in my family had been in the industry. So it was just an easy way for me to get started. Really quickly learned to hate it, honestly, like 70 to hundred cold calls a day, working up the corporate ladder. So then I started diving into books and YouTube, learning about real estate investments. Um, so over the next several years, I did focus on my income, changed jobs a couple of times, worked up to inside sales, outside sales, saved up a bunch of money. And then when I was finally ready, or at least I felt ready to make the first investment, I thought I was going to go down the you know small multifamily route, maybe buy a duplex or house hack. Um, I had just moved to Nashville, Tennessee, which is a pretty hot tourism spot and learned about short-term rentals and Airbnb. And I'm a numbers guy, I like to keep things really simple. So I just started diving into the numbers, um, the average daily rates, the occupancy rates and what I could purchase a house for. And I was like, if these numbers are right, like I'm all in. So we got one property, saw the bookings come in. And then ever since then, we were just solely focused on short-term rentals. The the cash flow, the cash on cash return is just incredible. And what's really cool about today's day and age is you can leverage technology to, you know, it's still an active source of income, but it's you can make it relatively passive. So by leveraging certain applications or software, we've been able to grow to six properties in under three years um, and only spend a couple hours a week managing them. You know, the, it's interesting you bring that up. You know, when it comes to technology, I, I don't know if you find it to be the situation, but I sure have. When Whether you're real estate investing or a realtor, for that matter, it seems like our industry is a bit behind when it comes to technology adoption. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's true. And and even some of the legacy you know property management organizations still to this day have guests come and pick up physical keys from an office. You know, and I think there's there's apps that'll even change the door code for people to get in. But I think you're right. It just in general, I think real estate you know tends to lag behind a little bit, um, and kind of, it's kind of in the same field as banking. You know, it's a little bit slower to, to adopt new technology, and I think it's starting to pick up, uh, which we're seeing in the industry today. But I think it'll get better in years to come. 
Well, if you don't mind, could we start at the very beginning of like an acquisition and through the management of the property and, and what in those expectations, like when you, when you're looking at a property today, or, or I understand that you provide this type of help and support to, to students. So if you're interested in this, head over to bnbinvestoracademy.com where Michael and his team can help you if, if this is something that you want to pursue. But when you're reviewing a property, Michael, what should somebody consider in those evaluations and running those numbers? Yeah. So a great site to start on is AirDNA. It's the main data hub for short-term vacation rentals. And this has really allowed people to dive in and, and leverage data in any market in the world, but especially in the US. Um, and you can get very granular, even down to the zip code and then use filters on, you know, I want to look at only three bedroom properties in Nashville, Tennessee that sleep six to 10 people. Uh, and that way I can get a real understanding of the historical data, average daily rates, occupancy trends, look at the top properties in a market, and then use that information to plug into just a basic investment analysis. Um, because the hardest thing to do with vacation rentals or short-term rentals is forecasting revenue. You're not you know, looking at average monthly leases right in an area of market rents um, and a bad property and a really, really good property managed effectively can be the difference of thousands of dollars per month uh, in, in revenue for a short-term rental. So by leveraging that data and then just running a basic in investment analysis and trying to get a little bit more granular um, can help you be successful right out of the gate. Okay. Well, some of those things that you, you mentioned that can handle six to 10 people, are you looking for larger properties typically? I, a lot of the, the Airbnb and Airbnb investors that I've seen at least locally are, it, it seems like they focus on condos and some smaller units. So when you when you said six to 10, that kind of stood out. Yeah. So one thing for me, I definitely recommend getting started any way you can. A lot of people will start with rental arbitrage where you don't actually have to buy the property. You could just start an LLC, call it Michael's Corporate Housing Company, approach landlords. So apartments, condos, single family homes, sign a co corporate lease agreement where you get permission in the addendum to essentially sublet or re-rent out. So that's a much more cost effective way to get started out of the gate if you have less money because you get started with you know eight to $10,000 pretty easily. Um, but as you scale, I've noticed that once a property is set up, whether it's a one or two bedroom or a four or five bedroom property, it takes just about the same amount of effort to manage on an ongoing basis. So if you're self-managing, which I have up until this point in time, um, I'd rather manage one big property that produces $10,000 a month in cash flow than four properties that produce 2,500 uh, a month cash flow each, because the amount of time I'm going to have to spend on the management tasks that I cannot automate uh, is going to be far less with that one property. So after we first started, we got a four bedroom and then we got a two bedroom. And ever since then, we've kind of just, you know, a little bit more opportunistic in our approach and focused on larger properties that sleep, you know, 10 to 12 people. Okay. You, you've mentioned it a few times now uh, around automation and, and when it comes to managing these properties, can you talk about some of those tools that you're leveraging to make this as easy a process as possible? Yeah. The number one thing to use is a property management software. And this is incredibly useful if you list properties on multiple OTAs or online travel agencies, such as Airbnb, Verbo, Booking.com, or a direct booking site. So if you think it could be a little bit time consuming or complicated to get a booking on Airbnb, and then I have to go manually block the same dates on, on Verbo or another calendar, and then I have to message the guests, you know, reservation confirmation, check-in instructions, guidebooks, checkout instructions, and then review them. A lot of these tasks used to be manual things to do. 
So with using a property management software, I currently use Guesty for hosts and my, my property management organization uses Guesty for pros. You, they have a lot of different integrations, but I can host everything from one central hub and everything communicates from there. So I can do not just calendar sync, but I can also do automated messaging and it'll send on each respective platform. So I can just, and I get receive messages too. So I can manage everything from one single pane of management, which is amazing. It'll even auto review guests for me on Airbnb. And then I could look at income reports and like analytics and things across all platforms from that one central hub. So it's quite useful. You, you said the platform's name pretty quickly there. What was it called? Guest the one I currently use is Guesty for hosts. Okay, uh, Guesty. And then Guesty for pros is the one we use for our PM organization, which is really more built or geared to an organization or somebody who has probably like five to 10 properties or more. I would say you'd probably mm -hmm. want to move to that one. It's a little more efficient. Um, it has more integrations with other software. So outside of the, of the this platform, is there any other tools that you've been leveraging? Because what, what I definitely found, especially when you're starting in, in short-term rentals, one thing that people have a hard time breaking through is simply being noticed on Airbnb because they're competing against somebody like you who actually knows what they're doing. Yeah. Um, well, as far as automation is concerned, uh, pricing is a big one. Um, it's a lot of people fail to maximize the revenue or cash flow potential because they don't leverage a an intuitive pricing software such as Price Labs. Another one, another good one is Wheelhouse that a lot of people use. This enables you to put in a whole slew of customizations specific to your property uh, and even do like tiered minimum night stays, tiered pricing. Um, you could set seasons among a ton of other inputs. And then it will actually pull data similar to similarly to AirDNA, but Price Labs is looking more at future like forward thinking data and looking at booking trends. And they'll actually pull a competitive calendar for you for several properties nearby, usually 10 to 20. And then you can leverage that data and your customizations and it will actually dynamically change your pricing for you daily. So that's really helpful. So not only is that going to help you capture you know, a higher daily rate for Maybe there's a weekend where there's a concert and you're not local to the town. You just don't know that people are willing to spend more. You're probably leaving money on the table if you're not using a software that'll automatically jump your pricing up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Similarly, if you're not getting midweek bookings, you probably need to lower prices midweek so you can leverage that data and make those adjustments going forward. Um, and that integrates with property management software such as Guesty, and then it'll push to all your platforms from there. So once you have it set, it's kind of a, a living and breathing organism your pricing is. But people who are not leveraging that are certainly leaving money on the table, in my opinion. And then the flip side is the more you change your listing and change your pricing, it's going to help rank higher on sites like Airbnb search results, which ultimately are going to get you more clicks. Um, and if your pricing's right, people are going to convert better, right? Among other things, you want to make sure you have a property that just jumps off the page. I kind of view Airbnb and other you know, sites like Verbo, uh, no different than social media, right? You have like two or three seconds to capture someone's attention. You have the thousands of properties in a market. If I don't get your click, that first impression, and I, then I don't even have an at-bat to get you to convert. But Airbnb is very analytical. So they'll look at all that information, the conversion rate, and they'll say, oh, Michael's property makes me money. And guests review it often and have a lot of five-star reviews. I'm going to promote him higher to make guests happy and make sure that we're making money as a company. Um, so all those things kind of play into it. Those are the two biggest software tools to help automate. And then the last one I'll mention is uh, Turnover BNB or resort, uh, resort Cleaning. Those are the two cleaning company softwares where it can integrate with your calendar. So they get notified when you get reservations or cancellations and they know when to show up and clean. 
That way you don't have to be sending them screenshots or texting them, hey, there's a clean today, are you showing up? So most of that's automated. Our cleaners know when to show up, they don't miss turns. Um, and it's really very helpful. That shaves tons of hours per week of time off your plate. That cleaning service, is that a national company or is that you're, you're locating or sourcing those locally first? Yeah, so you can source cleaners on Turnover BNB. The only downside there is the cleaners have to be on Turnover BNB already. Mm. Um, but you can work with a local cleaner, right? You can network around, ask, you know, put out a job listing, however you want to source those cleaners, and then get them to adopt a software like Turnover BNB, which is very simple. There's a phone app for it. You can go on a browser. Resort cleaning, I think, is just browser based, but they're really great because they integrate with all the different short term rental tools so they can get notified when there's a reservation. Because um, the last thing you want, right, is to be sending screenshots. And then worst case scenarios, if they miss a clean and don't show up, maybe they weren't notified of a last minute booking. Um, so that way, you know, it takes takes time off your plate, saves them time too. And if they want, they can actually invoice you directly through those tools as well. So it can help them automate their cleaning business. So, you you know, you're talking about a lot of integration there. You know, we're talking about Guesty and this cleaning service and a few other things. As, as real estate investors, we're always looking at properties that are providing return on investment. And I actually think there's a second aspect of this that we kind of miss, and it's that return on time. So make the case as to why somebody or should spend the time setting all this up in order to make the best of it. It, it seems obvious on its face, but frankly, Really, we, we just get stuck in our ways and we just don't bother right. taking that necessary step. Yeah. I mean, it can be overwhelming. Change is hard for anyone. I've even had cleaners that were so reluctant to change, but now that we've switched finally and they see that it's not too difficult once they're set up, you know, we can learn and adapt as people pretty quickly, faster than we think. Um, but my, my, I guess, advice is when you first start, I didn't set up a lot of these tools when I first started. It took me probably eight months to, to finally be like, okay, I need to look at these tools. Um, and they're pretty cheap too, you know, maybe 20 or 30 bucks a month for most of these tools per property. Um, but the amount of time you will save is hours per week for the exchange of just putting in maybe a few hours to set up all the automated messaging templates and stuff like that. And what's awesome about it is once you have it set up for one property, one, you know how to do it for the next one, but you can leverage the same messaging templates and the same things that you, you know, your inputs on price labs, just tweak a few things that make it specific to the next property. So each time you're, you're already going to know it's going to get quicker as time goes on with, with each property you onboard. So through your BNB investor academy.com, do you guide people through this process, how to get the set in integration set up and just get it, set it and forget it, get things yeah. done? Yeah. I wouldn't say it's never quite fully set it and forget it because you want to come back in and make tweaks when you feel necessary, mainly in the pricing section. But but Guesty for Host for me, set it and forget it 99% of the time. It's it's awesome. Um, and then, yeah, with the, the Academy, I walked you through the entire short-term rental life cycle. So how to research for your first property, how to do market research, how to leverage AirDNA. I do a complete demo of that tool. Um, and then depending what strategy you want to go with, I cover all of them, right? Buy and hold, rental arbitrage, co-hosting or managing for someone else, essentially, or partnerships, acquisition, and then setting up, right? How to design the property for success. A lot of people slack on design and don't understand the return on, on the investment into design because that's how you're going to make thousands of dollars more per month by selecting the right property and then placing the right amenities and having amazing photos, because uh, that's what's going to get people to be drawn in on your listing. 
Um, and then on the back half of the academy, I walk through all of the software tools, demo everything, provide all my resources, the templates, guest books, all that fun stuff for the day-to-day -day management. Yeah, you, it's funny you bring up the photos. I, I always find it, I, I don't know if I take some sick entertainment out of the fact that I, I you, you see these people, they spend a, a ton of time getting this space like perfectly set up. And then they shoot it with an iPhone SE or something. It's, 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 it's like, what, what's going on here? Yeah, for sure. And yeah, some just, some have had vacation rentals for a decade and they're old, they're blurry images. And it's like, people are going to scroll right past that. And not, even if you have an amazing property, I've seen reviews on people's properties. Like this property was amazing and it was way better than I expected. And even having good photos can help you have a higher average daily rate, not just occupancy and get bookings, but people are going to, get the full picture of your property. If the lighting's right, it just, it's intriguing. Like it draws you in. And it, again, if you don't get that first click, you have no opportunity. And if people are passing through your listing, you're going to start to rank lower and lower in search. And if you're not making Airbnb money, you're not going to get promoted on their site, but you're right. Even, even in people that think about like flipping a house or something, if you're going to list it on the MLS and, and put it out on sites like Zillow, you're going to spend all this time and money on that or a short-term rental and then not spend $300 on professional photos. Cause that makes all the difference right there. Mm. You know, I, I've had it on the other side, bite me in the butt because we've, we do flipping mm -hmm. uh, as in my market on it. And um, we have a professional photographer that does a fantastic job, goes in there and takes all the photos. And then we've gotten feedback saying the opposite. The photos make it look better than it is. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's a little bit tougher, right? Cause if somebody's just looking to rent, you know, they may book, I don't know, you know, maybe they're like, wow, you know, the photos looked a little better, but we're still at a good time. But if someone's mm -hmm. looking to buy the property, you know, that, that can be tough. I guess I could see where you're coming from there. So you, you mentioned amenities. Are there amenities that you have add to your short-term rentals that might surprise people? Yeah, actually it's different in each market, which is kind of makes it unique, but I really like to go on ear DNA. This is like the simplest way. They have a top property section two things here. You can see on a map where all the top properties are located, the top one bedrooms, four bedrooms, five, and you can use all these filters. So I'm going to look at where they're clustered on a map in an urban area in a vacation market. They're often clustered in like two or three pockets. And so that's how I hone in or work with a real estate agent. Hey, I only want to look here for a property or within a certain amount of miles to here. Even if I have never been to a market like Nashville, there's probably good and bad parts to town. So I want to know where people are want to rent and where they're spending the most money. Number two is to scroll through the the listings because you have links to all their listings through your DNA and look at all their photos. You're going to notice what amenities they have in common and then what themes they have in common. So I like to cherry pick those amenities and themes, but then create a unique experience where mine's slightly different and gets people intrigued to look at mine. So in Nashville, we've done things like interactive murals to create an Instagram moment. People will book a place for a special occasion, like a bachelorette party to take a photo. Like one, we have big butterfly wings. It's called butterfly BNB. It's free marketing. Mm -hmm. We've had dozens of people take and post photos of that and tag us or not tag us, which is cool. Um, and vacation markets, it's all about amenities, especially in the mountains or the beach. Like you want to feel like you don't have to go anywhere to have fun. So it go, could be like pool tables, ping pong tables, a theater room. I, any outdoor space you could take advantage of is, is, is awesome because people like to spend time outside. But I like to do things where most people don't have it in their own home. So they're willing to pay more for it while they're on vacation, a hot tub, mm -hmm. a fire pit, an outdoor grill set up, you know, just things like that. 
Okay. That makes a lot of sense. You know, you, you bring up the butterfly wings. That's kind of a thing in my market there. We have murals painted on walls or buildings downtown. And uh, I see, I see those being posted on Facebook and Twitter all the time. You know, people taking, it makes sense to do something similar in a, in the short-term rental like that. That, Mm -hmm. That's kind of clever. Yeah. You can definitely bring, I like to bring the experience of the city that you're visiting or the market that you're visiting. If you can find a way to bring that in and tie it into the design of the property, even just the color schemes and accent walls, a lot of people fail to, to spruce up bedrooms in a way to make the photos just stand out a little bit more. A lot of people are just bare bones, all white walls or tan walls. And it's, you know, I want to sell people on why you should rent my place where it doesn't feel like your own home, right? Or somebody's home. I want it to feel like an experience. The second benefit to selling the experience is I don't want to be in a race uh, uh, to the bottom on pricing. I don't want to sell people on pricing because mm-hmm. that's just going to increase the competition pool right? In my local market, especially as more people jump into short-term rentals and market saturation continues to increase, the top 10 to 25% of performing properties are always going to get booked at premium rates. And then in the off season, we're going to get booked and the other ones won't. So I think the people that struggle are going to be that bottom bottom tier of properties. You, well, you brought up market saturation. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people, I, I mentioned when we went before we hit record, like, I don't understand TikTok. I don't under, I, I don't understand how to my YouTube channel is finally growing a little bit, but it's been very slow. And I always, most people will make the excuse that it's Mark. It's a saturation at this point. I, I, I get that with Airbnb as well. Do you, do you feel like we've hit a saturation point and, and is this the recommended solution for those people looking for financial freedom? Yeah. I I still think there's a ton of opportunity. I know I wouldn't jump at certain markets that have grown drastically during the peak two years of COVID because there was a huge market shift in travel. No urban areas, urban areas very rarely got much traffic during about a year of time, year and a half of time. And it all shifted to just outside urban areas, either big or medium or even small size markets. So a lot of investors switched to the focus on those markets, like the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. So the pricing has shot up drastically, right? Not just from other market factors, but also for from just more investors looking or more vacationers looking to be there. Um, and now that some of that market demand has shifted back to urban areas or overseas, um, it's suppressing the daily rates a little bit. And people who are look just looking at the last six to 12 months of data on AirDNA, where market rates, average daily rates shot up and occupancy shot up, they have to, you know, have a little bit more modesty in their forecasting because that can, that's where it can kind of bite you in the butt um, is to overpay for a property and then look at a high high forecast and assume that's going to be your average. And maybe long-term it will be, but in the near term, I think some people are struggling there, but there's still a lot of opportunity in other markets. One great way to do is go back to AirDNA. There's a splash page on the overview of every market and you can actually see the past several years, quarter by quarter, what how many active rentals there are in a market. So if I look in a place like Gatlinburg, Tennessee, it's gone up by over 50% since Q4 of 2019. You look at a place like Nashville, it tanked. Like a lot of people sold their properties, turned them into long-term rentals, and then the regulations got a little bit steeper, which kind of presents an opportunity for investors if you can get one that's zoned correctly. And we still haven't uh, reached that peak in 2019 of active rentals. So there's, and demand is back in full force. So each market's very different, but yeah, it could reach a point of saturation in certain areas. So that's why your, your research up front is really important. 
Well, you've had some success with your social media marketing. You know, you can't, I can't ignore the fact of how many followers you have on TikTok and Instagram, for example. Was that a hard process for you? Did it come naturally or, or how much work or effort are you putting into your social media to get the traction you have been getting? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned YouTube earlier. You know, I learned so much from YouTube over the past decade that that's where I just wanted to like regurgitate what I was learning early on and then help teach others. Um, and it was very hard to get traction there. Very difficult. So what I did is I was in a real estate group with some like a mastermind, if you will. And we had a competition or like a friendly competition or accountability group. Let's post one video on TikTok a day for 30 straight days. And, and my goal was to funnel people to YouTube because that was the platform I wanted to focus on. Another person's was to grow their LinkedIn and the other person's was a, a, a podcast. Well, I had a couple of videos do really well. I was just talking about short-term rentals, being super transparent about our bookings and the numbers and the cash flow. And I think it really held people's attention. Um, so I had a couple do several hundred thousand views um, and my following grew a little bit. And I was like, this is crazy. So the next several months I was still focused on YouTube and I probably shouldn't have been because my TikTok was growing. And I was like, maybe I should just focus on TikTok, short form content, because maybe I'm just better at it. I don't know. Um, so that just grew and I just kind of stuck with it. And then I started to post more on Instagram reels when I saw Instagram really start to focus to compete with TikTok. Um, and it wasn't until recently that I started to get a bigger following on Instagram. There was one video and I got over 100,000 new followers in a week which is insane mm -hmm. to think about. I've been posting the same content for a year and a half there. And TikTok, um, I have almost 900,000 followers and I wanna say 600,000 of those followers or more probably came in spurts of 100 to 150,000 new followers just because of a single video on, on several different occasions. So any advice for people who are looking to start, it could be really discouraging if you post and you get no views and you're like, there's a lot of value here. Uh, but for whatever reason, maybe people weren't hooked and the algorithm didn't take and run with it. TikTok's hard and, and good at the same time because each video you post, TikTok treats it on the For You page as a green video like no one's ever seen it before. And they'll place it in front of like a pool of 10 people. And if they like it and they watch it and they share it, they're going to post it to a pool of 100 people, right? And then 1,000 and then 10,000. That's why I can like just go go nuts after a couple of days. Instagram Reels is similar, but yeah, it's been kind of a wild ride. I never thought I'd be a content creator per se, but it's been amazing. Um, and I all sorts of different businesses have bubbled up from it. So it's been it's been awesome. Well, you, you've been working so hard on that return on time when it comes to your real estate investing. What type of automation or tools are you using? Or maybe you even outsource uh, some of this work uh, for your for your marketing? Yeah. So initially I was just doing everything. A lot of the people I follow, like the big YouTubers, they would edit their own videos. So I'm like, I'm just going to grind it out. And I wasn't making any money from social media for the first year, year and a half. So I wasn't willing to pay yet. And I probably should have been willing to pay to have better editing and invest in a better camera and lighting and audio, because that all makes a really big difference on the quality and, and how long you retain viewers attention. Um, but now I outsource all my editing for short form content and long form as well. For YouTube, I'll get back into that soon. But that has been a huge, a huge thing for me because the quality is so much better. Um, it holds viewers' attention longer with good text overlay and, and just random B-roll footage that kind of fills fills the video. Um, and it gives really more importantly, it gives me time and, and I feel less burnt out because when I was doing video recording and then I would sit there and edit it for an hour. It, you know, if you're trying to pump out multiple videos a week or multiple videos a day, that's exhausting. So, mm -hmm. you know, I ended up outsourcing that and I realized there was a return there and I could focus on the content. I could focus on the course and all these other things I was trying to do. 
So I think moving forward, I'll continue to start to outsource things um, as long as I see the return. You know, if it's near term, um, I think it's worth it. Did you find your that provider through what Fiverr, or did you find another find some recommendations from other YouTubers, or how did you how did you source that? So I initially posted it on my Instagram. Somebody that happened to follow me had already built a nice following uh, on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. So they were a little expensive for me at the time because I was just doing YouTube editing. And then I ended up stopped working with them, edited myself. And then I actually saw Blank Slate Media post does a ton of TikTok ads. And I was like, you know what? I'll just give a big company a try. Interviewed an individual and then the big company. And I did a free like week trial and put, put a few videos in there. And I gave some examples of people that I follow that I thought, hey, can you mimic the style? And they did a great job. And it was really quick turnaround time. Um, so I've been using them ever since and it's been great. Okay. Well, I appreciate the the tips on that. You know, it, it's one of those things that it can be such a time suck because each platform kind of requires something else. Say, for example, unless unless it's changed recently, YouTube Shorts requires it to be 60 seconds or less. I don't know where TikTok is. Is that at like three three minutes or something now? Yeah, <laughs> you can do 15 seconds, a minute, three minutes. And then I don't know if they rolled this out to everybody or just some of the creators like myself have a bigger following. You could do 10 minute videos, which I haven't tried 10 minute yet. YouTube's only 60. It does make it tough though, because a lot of my videos where I go more in depth on explaining like the breakdown of our cash flow, for example, which usually do really well, um, they're usually three minutes long. So on Instagram, they're two part videos because they're 90 seconds or the max there. And then YouTube, I don't even really post those half the time because then I have to chop it up into three. And most people don't come back to watch the part two and part three. Right. That's that's what I've been finding is that when I've, if, if I wanted to actually do some decent content, it almost takes about three minutes. Like that seems to be the, the magic number. And I, I did a do exactly that. I tried to do a series on how to talk to motivated sellers. Man, and then you got to refer to the past episode. Next thing you know, you've chopped, you've chewed up 60 seconds. I mean, it just doesn't give you enough time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky world, the whole game of social media. And the other thing is it changes pretty quickly too. Algorithms change and you don't really know why. And so, you know, you just got to find a, a niche and stick with it. And then if you find a video that works, that was my biggest thing. I would notice a specific type of video or a specific way I broke down each second of the video, right? You have your hook, the info, and then the value at the end or whatever people are waiting to see. I would just beat that video into the ground over and over and over again. I would just create it, recreate it, you know, in a different style or a different way. Some people are like, you say the same thing over and over again. Well, it just reached another million people. So, you know, you got to find what works. And if you're trying to grow your following, you kind of have to replicate what works. And when that stops working, just kind of mess around and see, see what else gets traction. You're going to have a lot of bad videos that appear to have bad traction before you you get that one that really hits. Right. Again, I want to remind everybody bnbinvestoracademy.com for more information on how Michael and his team can maybe help you with this uh, investing strategy. But Michael, uh, I have a few rapid fire questions here if you're ready to try to tackle them. Sure. So everybody is a, a buddy has seen it at this point, those real estate investing myths we've seen in late night infomercials. What is one real estate investing myth you'd like to bust here today? I think that Airbnbs are too saturated to start today and that they're too expensive 
to start today? Because there's multiple different strategies. You could start with less money. And like a lot of real estate, you could start with no money in some way, form or fashion. But there's still tons of opportunity out there to do really well. And I think that's a, a myth or something that's commonly stated by a lot of people who are not in the short-term rental space. Okay. Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Think and Grow Rich are off the list. So what one book would you recommend everybody checking out or what are you reading right now? Cashflow Quadrant, kind of a sequel to Rich Dad, Poor Dad. The biggest takeaway for me there was, you know, learning to grow a business or invest in something that can then you reap the benefits over and over again and stop trading time for money. And then just the idea of what's risky, right? I, I'd rather risk money in an investment than risk spending the next 40 years working a job I don't like to work. So that was like the biggest takeaway for me. There's lots of good nuggets there. Right. What is the biggest business mistake you've made and what did you learn from it? That's a great one. I think the the biggest business mistake overall, it's more of an overarching theme, is not adopting certain technology or things that I that can help automate my business. So that's been the biggest thing. Like in short-term rentals, it was just easy tech that was right there at my fingertips that saved me hours and hours a week and helped me make more money. Uh, but you can I can apply that to any line of business or social media that you're in. So I would say that. Okay. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Don't wait to start. I've never met a real estate investor or somebody who's been successful in a business or social media who said, I wish I waited longer to start. It's usually the other mm -hmm. way around. Um, you always have some sort of perceived risk with it, right? And what if I fail? It doesn't matter. You know, the faster you start, the faster you fail and, and find success. But the last thing I want to be is on my deathbed and, and have like a, you know, regret of anything. So I'd rather at least give it a try. Sure. Well, I really appreciate this, Michael. Again, it is bnbinvestoracademy.com. But uh, is there a question or concept that you wished we would have covered here today? No, I guess the one concept is, you know, rental arbitrage or Airbnb arbitrage. You know, a lot of people perceive short-term rentals, you're needing 20% down payment to start the money to furnish, which can be expensive for a larger property. But a lot of people are not aware of strategies, which I, you know, I teach a ton too, but where you can start with five to 10 grand or even start with no money coasting. So that's why I love short-term rentals. And I encourage people to look into it because there are ways to start regardless of where you're at in your life or where you're at financially. So that would be a, a good concept. That's probably you know, another, another podcast, I'd say to dive deep into that strategy. Yeah. You know, we talk about creative financing all the time, but when it comes to short-term rent rentals, we fr frankly haven't spent a lot of time on that. Yeah. It's a, uh, that would be an interesting conversation. I hope you're, you'll be up for that. Maybe you'll come back very soon. Yeah. I'd love to. So, well, thanks again, Michael. And we'll talk to you soon. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.